chapter 21. The day of launch had arrived. A great crowd filled the Talarian Glade. Student and scholar, elf and artifact engine, Viashino and goblin, angel and human. Half of them were refugees from Sarah's realm. They pinned all their hopes on the rescue force at the center of the glade. The other half of the crowd had worked for years to assemble that force. Now the work was done. All that remained was to wait and watch. The crowd pressed inward, just out of reach of the war-barded drakes, but as close as they could get to the great skyship. Aboard the vessel, Master of Engines, Karn, made his rounds in preparation for launch. He peered down into the open hatch. Artifact creatures clustered in the hold, shoulder to shoulder. 200 runners, 12 pumas, 200 scorpions, and a hundred modified Yoshin warriors. These creatures formed the planetary defense meant to guard the refugees as they boarded the ship. The mechanical men shifted into close quarters, some of them packed so tightly they could not stand. There'd be no room for them on the return trip, Karn knew. They would be left behind to be blasted into nothing, or captured and dissected and melted down. Baron seemed impressed by Urza's willingness to sacrifice the artifact creatures. Speaking of Urza's newfound humanity, Karn felt only saddened by it. Disintegration. He drew the hatch closed over the main hold and turned away. Striding across the narrow deck to the roosts where 300 Falcon engines awaited release, they would perform a new task, providing aerial cover for the fleeing refugees. In addition to this function, they would home in on Phyrexian blood, impaling themselves in any target and shredding the creature from the inside out. They would also fight any foes that threatened the refugees, just in case the Falcons did not purge the plane. Urza had filled bombards with modified spider capsules, which would resonate in the presence of strong white mana sources. He spoke of saving the refugees and cleansing the plane. Of course, Karn thought darkly. Neither the Falcons nor the spiders would be returning either. He moved along the gunwale toward the first bank of fog-cutting lanterns along the bow. They were fitted with focusing lenses and parabolas that rendered their light into powerful beams. In tests, these ray weapons could ignite clothing from 2,000 feet away, could make deadfalls burst into flame, and could etch stone. Their lantern crews were goblins, selected due to their familiarity with the Thran ray technology used in the Crystal Forge. Turd and a pair of gray, stumpy grabbits manned the lantern, Karn checked over. Everything's in order here, master! Turd declared with a salute snapped so rapidly that his fingertips left welts on his forehead. Karn only nodded, continuing his inspection of the device. The sighting mechanism is dirty. Eyes widened into saucers on Turd's face. In a gibbering tongue, he upbraided his companions. He stomped on one's foot and twisted the other's ear before returning his attention to Karn. A toothy grin crossed his lips. It's, it's so clean you can see your face in it. The thought shimmering in his eyes grew a bit cloudy. He blinked uncomfortably. Or not. We're not shining right at your face. You shiny enough, it bounced off anyway. Of course, it didn't kill everybody else. We not shine at your face. Mazra says angels got shiny faces too. We shoot for whites of eyes. Wait, we, we not see whites of eyes. Karn left the creature in mid-sentence, following the rail to the glass splitter, an invention of Joyra's. She had been inspired one day by the deadly sprays of molten metal that occurred when water dropped into a blast furnace. The bombards hurled spheres of glass covered energy among enemies. Where the balls burst, melted shrapnels flung outward. Her design was finished and presented to Urza before she had fully thought through the lethal consequences. Before she would allow the devices to be built, she made Urza promise they would be used only against dire and deserving foes. She got her wish and command of the flying ship.
Even now, Joyra crouched in the prow beside the ship's final ranged weapon, an acid atomizer. The device used an unstable energy field to disperse a caustic spray among foes. Karn approached her. Is the atomizer in working order, Captain? Karn asked. Joyra startled. She stared at Karn, blinking stupidly for a moment before shaking the visions from her eyes. Uh, sorry, I was just mentally preparing for the coming battle. What were you saying? The acid atomizer, Captain, Karn repeated. Is it ready? Joyra nodded, crossing arms over her chest. Yeah, but don't call me Captain. Call me Joyra. Just because I've been given command of this vessel and crew doesn't make me a captain. As for the atomizer, the fog from this thing will be as destructive as a blast of the fire drake's breath. They both reflexively cast glances toward Jaradargaz and Ramadargaz, positioned on either side of the long, sleek ship. The fire drakes would provide an aerial defense of the ship and the refugees. The beasts would be planeswalked into Sarah's realm by Urza himself. Just now, Urza was to starboard, tightening saddle straps on the ancient Drake Dam. To port, Baron packed wands and tomes into the saddlebags of the young dragon. Though Joyrud was in charge of the ship, Urza and Baron would direct the entire operation, employing an arsenal of white mana spells from the backs of the fire drakes. Urza even then stood in the drake saddle and made a gesture to silence the buzzing crowds. They will call us invaders, Urza said, his voice amplified by a quick spell from the mage master. They will call us invaders, just as they call their own citizens traitors. They have even called us Phyrexians, so powerful is the web of delusion that traps them. We will not listen to what they call us. We will listen to what history calls us. We will save them, despite themselves. A mild ovation answered these words. We are not invaders. We are defenders. We are the alliance of Dominaria. We are human and divine. Viashino and goblin, we are builders and enchanters. We are the power of the forest and of the sea, of the mountains and of life itself. We have cleansed our own island of Phyrexian hordes and we will cleanse Sarah's realm as well. But as most of all, we will return and bring with us the rest of her refugees, a new army of allies. A roar of joy began among the humans and angels gathered there. It swept through the ranks of lizardmen and goblins, elves and artifact creatures, students and scholars, until the very forests and oceans echoed the shout. As the sound mounted up, Joyra nodded to Karn. Initiate the startup sequence, Master of Engines. Aye, Captain, Karn replied. He crossed the narrow deck to reach the bulkhead where stairs descended into the hall of the ship. In moments, he had reached the engine room. Diago Dirv and three other red-scaled Viashino came to awkward attention as Karn entered. Initiate startup sequence, the silver man ordered. The Viashino snapped salutes and scrambled to their posts. Switches were flipped, levers adjusted, and gyros set into motion. Groans came from the massive engine. A chatter of commands and verifications arose among the lizard men. Karn, meanwhile, moved to the center of the curved console bank beneath an ornate speaking tube that led directly to the bridge. Before him, a pair of deep ports delved into the inner reaches of the engine. Karn inserted his hands into the holes, feeling for the twin bars at their bases. He found them, clasped his hands. When turned, the rods would trigger the engine startup. Open the superfluid manifold, Karn ordered. He pivoted both handles inward and felt the mechanisms engage and lock. A great warmth was abruptly born within the engine. In moments, it had drowned out the ovation outside. Before Karn could withdraw his arms, bracers emerged from deep within the machine and fastened over his wrists. Small wire probes slid smoothly into the joints in his knuckles. Magnificent surges of energy prickled along his hands. Jolts moved up arm and shoulder conduits, converged in the silver man's chest, and fountained into the power stone at the center of his head. 
Suddenly, Karn could sense the green superfluids coursing through the great engine block before him. He could feel the warm bath sluice around the glimmering power stone at the heart of the machine. He could see out the fog lanterns of the ship, fore and aft, starboard and port. He could kinesthetically sense the weight and alignment of the ship's hull, its sails, its lines, even its young, strong captain as she stood at the ship's wheel. The airship had become a second body for him. Its engines and controls and defenses were suddenly his own. Integration. To welling cheers, Karn lifted the great skyship into the air. It rose amid the red flapping wings of the fire drakes. It ascended into the bright skies over Talaria and the bright skies of Dominaria. Joyra felt small and overawed as she stood on the bridge of the airship. As yet, there was no need to steer. The vessel was merely rising in the blue Talarian sky. Not until it made headway would the warping of sails and the bending of airfoils make any difference at all to the craft's movement, but clutching the wheel now made a definite difference to Joyra's position. It allowed her to stay standing. Beneath her feet, enormous hot engines labored. They dragged into clear air a payload of 500 war engines and a crew of 30. She tried to forget that the fully loaded ship weighed 4,000 tons. She tried to forget that this was the vessel's first time aloft, its shakedown cruise. She tried to forget that she would be sailing this vessel into war with angels. Something huge and red arced with sudden violence above the ship's rail, then disappeared again. It returned, a leathery mountain, translucent, the bones of a great drake visible through it. The wing dipped a second time when it reappeared. It brought the red-mantled head of Jaredargaz above the rail. A gray snort escaped one craggy nostril as the she-drake pulled herself higher into the sky. Urza, standing in his saddle, lurched into view. He held something in his hand, something that looked like a club but sparkled like a wand. His face was clenched with effort as he drove the drake toward the prow of the ship. Something is wrong, Joyra thought, clinging to the wheel. Something has come loose, or something that was supposed to come loose hasn't. Jerdargaz surged toward the bow of the ship. Urza leaned so far on the saddle he appeared in danger of falling. He swung the shimmering club at something clinging to the prow. A dull thud sounded and then a wet shattering sound. I name thee Weatherlight, Urza declared, holding aloft the fragmented neck of the bottle. His mount soared away over windswept treetops. Joyra laughed. There was no monster, nothing amiss. The planeswalker was merely blessing, naming the boat on its maiden voyage. Joyra felt the weight of dread and impossible futures sag away from her and drop among the rattling leaves below. She laughed. Full ahead! Follow that drake! The first captain of Weatherlight commanded. Teradargaz darted out over the forests of Talaria. Ramadargaz slid into her wake. Weatherlight followed them both. Wind coursed over the prow and back to reach Joyra. She drew the fresh air into her lungs and remembered another place she used to stand, at the edge of her world. She remembered an earlier time when young courage filled her heart and she dreamed of a soulmate. The man had never arrived. She had lived a full life without him, and now young courage poured again into her heart. Teradargaz was merely a crimson jag on the horizon. Ramadargaz was just behind her. Weatherlight gained on them both. The helm had grown active in Joyra's grip, tugging at her the way an eager horse pulls at the rein. She returned its forceful play, holding the ship against crossed winds. Trim the sails, Joyra commanded the human crew. They scampered to cleats and drew on lines. Reconfigure the port and starboard fans into airfoils. More workers clambered onto the lateral rigs to rework the canvas. With each tug on slack lines and each shift of sail, the ship gained speed. It coursed above the green sea of trees with greater velocity than any waterbound craft. 
a turgid wake of tossing treetops spread out aft. The wind washing over the deck threatened to blow the lighter crew members overboard. Turd and his diminutive comrades hunkered down beside the rail. Lines throughout the rig hummed into the bluster. The ship's hull creaked as it eased itself into the stresses of its new orientation. Joyra smiled. She had almost caught up to Urza and Baron at the shoreline of Talaria. The Drake riders nudged their steeds to match the ship's speed. Jaradargaz and Ramadargaz flew wing to wing. Churning storms of air spread in twin cones behind them. Joyra steered the ship past the shore and into the twin gales. Wind lashed brutally across the deck. Hang on! Joyra shouted to her crew. We will slow once we enter Sarah's realm. Until that time, they had to fly in close formation. Urza's plane shift would barely encompass both drakes, and it could be tracked by Weatherlight's apparatus only if the field effects overlapped. Whitecaps thundered below, and gray cumulus clouds thundered above. The very air seemed to turn solid, tearing at sailcloth and hemp, wooden hull and metal fittings. It clawed also at the captain and her wheel, but now she felt only exhilaration. A bubble of magical might swelled out from Urza. In a heartbeat, it stretched to encompass both drakes. Already they shimmered, punching into the portal. Plane shift! shouted Joyra. Another bubble welled up from the heart of the ship itself. The curtain of magic cracked out, whip-like and dimmed sea and sky. Blue Dominaria glimmered for one tiny moment more, then it was gone. The roar went with it. Black chaos swept in to displace all. Beyond the ship's rails lay only a churning world of emptiness and the laboring wings of two great drakes. And then black and blue both were gone. In their place came a vast skyscape of tinged light, sulfuric cloud, and troubled, tumbled chunks of land. Sarah's realm, Jorah said into the sudden roar of wind, the edge of Sarah's realm. She reached down to a slot in the deck and drew forth a glass-encased map of the jumbles. The cartography was unmistakably Urza's detailed, turbulent, overworked. It showed three landmarked aisles. One was pear-shaped, and it tumbled in rapid succession. Another was long and flat like a great stone knife. The third, lying just beneath the descending brow of the sky at the utter edge of Sarah's realm, was the rock called Jabak. There, on that distant and broken world in a conley called Arizon, waited a thousand souls. Start a rapid swing round to the starboard on heading 953288. We're heading for Jabak. Steersmen trimmed into the airfoils, and Karn, below, channeled what remained of the ship's power into the banking descent. Release spider bombards from the alternate sides every 30 seconds beginning on my mark. The bombard crews scrambled to load their first salvos. Meanwhile, Turd clambered up the ladder to the main deck and grabbed Joyra's sleeve. Well, here, Rodolay, landing bugs! Joyra peered out along the line of the goblin's gnarled finger. To port, she glimpsed a beautiful and terrible sight, glimmering in the air like gold dust with the cleansing armies of Radiant. Mark! They've released the first spider bombard! shouted Baron. He brought Ramadargaz through a sweeping turn to the flank of Urza. Good! Urza called back from atop Jaradargaz. We'll know who we're fighting. He looked to his left, where the cleansing army of Radiant swarmed, their wings making a distant drone in the air. How many do you think there are? Hundreds, Urza called back. Perhaps thousands. We will need every advantage. Urza flung out his hands, drawing to himself the white mana of the many places he had traveled in the realm. He fueled a pair of powerful spells. White lightning crackled out from his fingers and spread across the two drakes feathering around them in a thousand leaping lines. Power surged through them. The enchantment made scales seem gossamer feathers, made red mantles seem rainbowed coronas. There was a sudden glorious aspect laid on the beasts. 
They were transformed into divine figures, terrifying in their beauty and power. With another gathering of white mana magic, Urza cast a scintillating aura around each rider, a whirling circle, what appeared to be snow. This will protect us from white mana spells or creatures, Urza explained. Baron, unfamiliar with the realm, drew on blue magic instead of white. He summoned a pair of Talarian drakes, giant kin of fire drakes. These two dragons had skin as smooth and translucent as reef water. Their wings flashed blue against the yellowing clouds. Their spiky manes, as barbed as tridents, oscillated in the roaring wind. Baron reached into the core of his memory, tapping memories of the forests of Talaria. He thought of Joyra's Angelwood in the western reaches and the many fast-time sub-arctic scrub forests and cast an enchantment on the two creatures. Green scales sprouted across the backs and bellies of the summoned drakes, providing them additional protection against attacks, magical or mundane. Impressive! shouted Urza over the growing buzz of angel wings approaching. I have a leviathan up my sleeve if things get really desperate, though summoning it would tax my every reserve. There's no time for more discussion. The approaching army's drone had become a roar. They grew from golden moats into arrows of flame. The angel army of Radiant had arrived. They soared in with the speed of falcons. Two score archangels led the vanguard, each bearing a magna sword broad as an axe but long as a lance. The archangels came in a vertical circle and held their blades inward like a ring of bangs. Behind them, forming a lethal gullet, were hundreds of angel warriors bearing lances. Great Leviathan in its own right, the cleansing army of Radiant opened its toothy maw to swallow the drakes and their riders. I'll meet you on the other side! Urza yelled as he plunged into the hailstorm of white fangs, silver masks, and flashing steel. The other side of what? Baron wondered. The angel thicket closed around him. Magnasword struck the tip of the fire drake's pale muzzle and sparked along its scaly neck. The enchantments held repelling steel. Even so, the blades converged, tracing their way toward the rider. Baron yanked hard on the drake's rein. Ramadargaz curved broadside to the speeding angels. His leeward flank arched away from the attack, and his whirlwind flank became an impenetrable wall against which archangels and angels smashed to a bloody wreck. Baron urged Ramadargaz back into his charge. The beast surged his wings, flinging loose a pair of angels who had swarmed up behind him and vaulted deeper into the throat of the attack. He breathed a great gout of fiery breath into the onslaught, and angels fell from the sky like burning pigeons. Amadargaz plowed into the vacated space. The dragon's side was dotted with blood, most of it angelic, though there were a few long wounds where swords had broken through the enchantments. Instantly, Baron cast a healing spell on the drake, and the gory gashes along his side knitted together with threads of white energy. Another blast of fire emerged from the beast. More angels tumbled in black smoke and melted quill. Silver masks cleaved to screaming faces. Magnaswords fused with skeletons. Distant in the fight, the flames of Jaredargaz carved an equally hellish swath through the swarm of angels. The blue drakes fared less well, their steam breath killed many, but the press of bodies and the hack of swords ripped the creatures to rags. A bolt of healing radiance leapt from Urza toward the beleaguered Talarian drakes, but another sorcery cast by an archangel warrior deflected the spell en route. Baron was beginning his own healing enchantment when an angel choir shrieked down upon him and laid two with swords. Familiar sorcery leapt from his fingertips. The kindled fire arced across the pitching air into the face of an angel warrior, waking flames in her mouth and eyes. He unleashed a second spell of the same kind, drawing additional power from the first. A third conflagration blazed out to strike an archangel, blasting a hole through its armor and out the other side. Three bodies tumbled away, but twenty more clung to the drake's back and attacked with swords and barbed whips. Massive blades descended. They struck Baron in head, neck, belly, and back. Magnaswords rebounded from his enchanted flesh as though they had struck stone. 
Baron sent Ramadargas into a sudden dive, flinging free the attackers, bringing the beast's fire breath against new clouds of the foe. Exhilaration moved through the Mage Master of Talaria till he saw the bleeding hulks of the Talarian Drakes. They were below and behind, their carapace enchantments dispelled, and their blue hides marked with gashes as numerous and ominous as hieroglyphics. The killer angels still clung to the beasts, maggots on a dead corpse, until their wings at last gave out. In quick succession, the summoned beasts dropped from the sky, the angels peeled themselves from the falling forms. Chastened, Baron brought Ramadargas soaring back into the fray, fiery breath and steel, hard wings slaying angels in their hundreds. The master mage cast sorceries, death blossoming all around him. He would kill as many as he could as quickly as he could, hoping to keep them from the refugees. Suddenly, black and grotesque in the midst of that angel throng, there came a beast that could win right past Baron's white mana protections. The winged, the fanged, Phyrexian. The monster dropped like night from the sky into Ramadargaz's neck. It reared up and Baron recognized the lemon wedge eyes Urza had described. The man was utterly transformed, his figure hulking and muscular, fitted with countless implants and weapons, halberd arms and dagger-tipped feet and scythes at the elbow. The greatest weapon of all, though, was built right into the beast's torso, a black manifold that blazed in twelve places with the white-blue fires of soul-stealers. He drew white mana into this very being, storing it, harnessing it, part of it to transform himself. He grew more powerful with each and every creature he killed. Gorig was the mana battery. Baron had time to see no more. Gorig lunged atop him. Karn felt Weatherlight's fading power as a torpor in his own frame. The soul torches weren't gathering enough white mana from the surrounding air to recharge the stone. It only glimmered weakly within its superfluid bath. The ship had enough energy to fly, perhaps enough for a few brief bursts from its ray weapons, but the vessel would not plane shift again. We'll need more torches, Joyra, he called into the speaking tube over his head. The sound of his voice was empty and weary, made doubly so by the metal pipework. Just to carry the refugees away. We'll need more power for more torches. Aye, came the clipped reply from above. Prepare for landing. Below the ship, Karn still saw all the world through the ray weapons at bow and stern. The aerial island called Jabak floated black and forbidding against the descending dome of Sarah's realm. It was a dark place. The eternal light of Sarah was failing in these reaches. The life-giving air was thin and tainted. The very edge of the plain hovered only a scant mile above the black rock. In ever-changing array, its frayed fabric showed the gray chaos that lay between worlds. Reduce speed, Joyra's order came. Gratefully, Karn scaled back the power flow from the tepid crystal. Decrease altitude. Sails shifted. The prow rose just slightly, and the ship's keel eased downward. The massive aerial island swelled to fill Karn's field of vision. He saw there a twilight royal of hills and rocks. Dead fields lay gray within the perpetual murk. Tangled trees stood in dead woods across the aisle. It seemed Hades, or Shoal, a place of shadows, sunless land of the dead. Lanterns ahoy! Bring the ship to the ground beside those lights! With the eyes of the ship, Karn saw the flickering glow of lanterns, oil and wick pushing back the darkness. The tepid light traced out arches against the dark, the entry to the Arizon colony. Light reflected in tiny gleams from something clustered within. They seemed almost wasp eggs piled inside the mud dauber's nest, but with a Certain wonder and dread, Karn realized what they were. Faces, thousands of faces, waiting and hoping for salvation. Karn drew upon the strength of his own power matrix to bear the ship across the cold reaches before the cave. 
A black veil below led past a field of rubble and forest deadfall. The weatherlight nosed through the tangle of trees into the flat plain just below the cave. Landing spines emerged from the lower sweep of the hull. Easing the ship slowly down, Karn felt his own being, the vast shudder of the hull settling. Open hatches! Release falcons! Deploy runners and pumas and scorpions! Ready cargo holds! Ready ray weapons! There was a new urgency in Joyra's voice. When Karn peered through the stern lanterns, he saw why. Angel armies descended on them in a golden cyclone. Urza stood in Jaredaragaz's saddle. The Talarian drakes had plunged out of the battle there, where the swarm was thinnest. They had tumbled away into the gray-blue depths and, some mile below, flashed out of existence entirely. Only a mile below. His plane had shrunk considerably before their arrival, but it was dissipating even more quickly now. Urza drew hard on the reins, sending Jaredaragaz into a blistering attack. Angels tumbled from the dragon's blazing onslaught, white and inconsequential like popped maize from a steaming kettle. They, too, dropped away and disappeared in ever-nearer edge of the world. With every angel death, the plane was collapsing. The more fiercely the drakes battled the main army, the less time any of them had. Soon, the mana depletion would reach a critical threshold, and then the collapse would take only moments. Any living thing left in the plane would be destroyed. Hold fire! Urza commanded the drake. He reined her in a huge circle. To Ramadargaz! To Baron! The dragon entered a shallow dive that would speed her toward her son and his rider. Angels flung themselves in dense clouds about her, but she held back her killing breath. Magnasords shrieked across her armored hide. Some bit through the enchantments and sliced open long rents. Urza's magic healed them even as they formed, letting not a whisper of air spill from the drake's wings. Even so, agony won through. Jaredargaz roared, smoke trailing from her jowls. She barely contained the fires that ached to spew forth. She focused her fury instead on the battle ahead, and Ramadargaz caught in it. Another three surges of wings brought her to sword just beneath him. Urza shouted toward Baron, saddled above. Break off to the weatherlight! In a flash, they were past. The drake sliced through air and angel both as they made their way along. Air made small booms at the trailing edge of the drake's wings. The thickest swarm of warriors fell away. Jaredargaz punched through the final wall of them and shot into the gray spaces beyond. Ahead lay the jumbles. At its distant end hung a large floating isle, and on it glinted the lights of weatherlight. Those lights were dim beneath the gold and white shimmer of angel warriors and soul torches. Another army. Urza urged his mount to greater speed. Even as they closed on Jabak Isle, he could see the advancing curtain of chaos at the edge of the plain. There was less time than he had thought. Joyra helped a staggering old man into the hold of Weatherlight. He was garbed in tatters, his face drawn into a scowl of concentration, his eyes turned down from the loud battle that raged only a thousand yards aft. How anyone survived the jumbles was a mystery to Joyra, let alone how an old, infirm man had. How old had he been when he was cast into that world of flotsam? Perhaps he had lived in the Isle for years, perhaps all his life. Quickly, please, Grandfather, she urged gently, and, and moved as... Far aft as possible? Is there sunlight where we're going? The man asked, tottering a moment on the steps. Yes, sunlight, water, forests, everything, Joyra assured as the man moved forward. She stared across the bow at the snaking column of refugees. There were too many of them. They were too slow, too weak. Beyond their desperate cave colony, the crackling wall of chaos verged nearer and nearer. Soon it would not matter that there were too many of them. Soon the edge of the plain would begin its disintegrating march across the aisle. Matters aft were just as grim. The Falcon engines fought fiercely, dropping angels from air atop the front line of the ground combat. The ranks of runners thinned, their crossbows' corals already spent, 
their scythe blades snapping out to trap their foes. Orange explosions crackled out along the line. Clutched together, angels and machines both blazed into nothing. Soul torches fell to the ground at the front and crackled and spat, absorbing the hundreds of souls that perished there. The infernal devices blazed white-hot. The mathematics were against Joyra. Even if each machine destroyed one warrior with its blast, Radiant could overrun them with hundreds more. Karn, can you muster enough power to use the ray weapons? Joyra called. The answer sounded dour and hollow. I have barely enough power to lift off. Joyra stared at the infernal line of battle and considered. She had been told, as commander of the ship, she was not to leave it, but if she didn't, it might well not be a ship to leave. It needed to charge the stone, and only a few thousand feet away, power lay sparkling and crackling. I'm going to get some torches, Joyra told Karn, her voice hushed. I'll bring back as many as I can carry. Karn's response was slow, too slow, but Joyra did not need to hear it to know what it was. He as much as forbade his captain. It is mutiny, pure and simple, thought Joyra, ironically, as she dropped amid the lines of scorpion engines, marching into oblivion. A scraggly figure leapt from the rail to land at her side. Little fighters, I think, Turd said, matching her stride for stride. You're right, said Joyra kindly. The more torches, the better, added another familiar voice. Diago Deer blinked placidly at their looks of surprise. After all, my folks built half the ship. Side by side, the woman, the goblin, and the lizard man waded forward through the press of metal, heading toward the burning front. The Phyrexian smashed a top baron, breaking ribs and flinging the man from his drake saddle. The mage master of Talaria tumbled across the dragon's spread wings and fetched up, broken in the crook of one reptilian elbow. His mind whirled, unable to fasten on anything. Wind roared over him. He clung to the drake's wing, shaking his head to clear it. Gorid crouched on the saddle, jowls drawn back in a dagger-toothed leer. Long, barbed legs drew up beneath the insectoid creature. The twelve soul-stealing ports along its manifold torso flared in hungry anticipation. Its wings spread outward, and again it lunged. The first blast of air over Baron brought with it a thought of a spell. He summoned his memories of distant Talaria and hurled before him the wall of air. The creature smashed heavily against the sudden gale. Gorg roared. It tumbled helplessly backward, away from the mage master and his mount. Ramadargaz rolled beneath the turbulent barrier. Baron could only cling raggedly to the drake's wing. Ramadargaz pivoted and soared out from the angel swarm. His fiery breath carved an avenue of soot and burning flesh before them. Baron could not care. He could only hold on, inching slowly back toward the saddle. Where's our order to retreat? Ramadargaz gasped out between breaths. Where the light is under attack. Baron nodded dizzily. He clawed his way back to the saddle and clung, gulping ragged breaths. A ferocious roar came behind them. The bright blaze of the wall of air shattered. Out of the heart of that conflagration came the shrieking Phyrexian. Gorek soared faster than even the archangels who followed in the shrieking cone behind. Devil and angels alike, every last staff and wing and magna sword was intent on destroying Baron, Mage Master of Talaria. He could not care. He could only hold on and stare at the battle that raged around Weatherlight. If he reached Urza, the ship might be saved. Death is not so horrible a thing when one is 
broken and clinging to the burning back of her fire drake and plunging through a heaven that seems in all ways hell. Death is not so horrible at all. Baron, Mage Master of Talaria.